I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get started with today's episode, I'm really excited to tell you about Shadow, who are kindly sponsoring this episode. You probably already know that I relish my time offline and one of my favorite habits during my weekly digital detoxes is to read and really take my time with it. Now this obviously includes books but this year it's also extended to reading magazines and one of my favorite publications is by Shadow. Shadow are an experience-led community who use arts, journalism and activism to unite people around social change. And in case you're wondering, Shadow is an acronym for See, Hear, Act, Do. All of their work is rooted in self-representation and their goal is to help achieve culture-led system change through centering the voices of frontline communities. Their stunningly illustrated biannual print magazine is so well put together and I think it would make an exceptional gift. I particularly enjoyed the climate justice issue, which I think all the Small Things listeners would love. So if this sounds appealing, head to shadow-mag.com forward slash shop. And do be sure to check out their Instagram, which is at shadow.mag, where they post all their online articles, calls to action, and details of their upcoming events. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Venetia here. It has been a little while since the last episode, and I have really missed you. I am super excited to be back with one final episode, bringing season three to a close. If you've enjoyed the series, it would mean the world to me if you could give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or you could share the episode on your social media, tagging me at Venetia Lamanna and tagging the show at ATST Podcast. Many of the issues we discuss on All the Small Things come back to the theme of love, which is why I am just delighted to be bringing you today's episode with journalist, author, and absolute gem of a human, Natasha Lunn. Natasha Lund's Conversations on Love began life as a much-adored newsletter with 10,000 subscribers, focusing on a wide range of issues intimately connected to love, before turning into a 16-way publishing bid and a Sunday Times top 10 best-selling book. In this exceptional book, Natasha draws on her own loves and losses and speaks to a wide array of authors and experts to learn about their experiences, asking how do we find love, how do we sustain it, and how do we survive when we lose it? This book features interviews with some incredible people, including Juno Dawson, Roxanne Gay, Dolly Alderton, Candice Carty-Williams, and Esther Perel. I found myself frantically underlining most of the book before realizing that I really should invite Natasha on the podcast, and I'm delighted to say that she agreed and to be bringing you this conversation. Conversations on Love is easily one of my favorite books from this year. I can't stop recommending it, and I think you will love it. 
In the meantime, if you're yet to read it, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Natasha, I am so excited to have you on All the Small Things today, closing season three. Thank you so much for being here. First, let us start as we always do. I'd love to hear if you have any kind of morning routine or small rituals that you like to practice when you wake up to kind of set the tone for your day. Well, I have a young baby, so whether or not that the intention for this manages to hold firm or not, I don't know. But um, my morning thing that I do every day is, especially if I'm feeling a bit sad or I can't get out of bed, or even if I've had a sleepless night with my baby and I come downstairs with her and it's a bit depressing, I always just put on a song. Like at the moment, it's Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift, or just one song which I love to dance to. And it just changes the mood of the morning. So I feel like that's quite a powerful change to the beginning of the day. I love that. I'd love to hear a little bit about your childhood um, and your family life and the things that really made you feel loved when you were growing up. My parents are so in love with each other. And I think that just from a very young age, very expressive of that love to, to each other and to us. So we're very you know, we're not shy about telling each other we love each other all the time and hugging and being very OTT, I guess, about love in our family. So I grew up with that real openness about feelings and emotions and sex, actually, which sometimes uh, I could have done without possibly as a teenager. And now I come to appreciate a bit more. My parents had us really young, about 23. They definitely had that 80s approach to parenting. Like, we'd just take the kids with us everywhere. Like, to every party they went to, we just were underneath the table playing. And to every, like, wild holiday with, like, loads and loads of their friends, I felt like I belonged at home. And certainly times when I was older and things would be going wrong or I would be getting rejected or I would feel I really messed up, I did always have that sense of, what well, I can just go back home and I'll be loved and everything is okay there. Like around that kitchen table, no matter what I've done that's shameful or bad, I can go and sit there and dance with my mum and I know that I will be loved. So I feel, yeah, just to, just to have a parent who loves you is something we take for granted, isn't it? And it is a great love story. Absolutely. And your book has really, really helped me appreciate that parental love more than ever before, actually. So before we start talking about the book, I'd love for listeners to hear about what made you start the newsletter Conversations on Love and how quickly you realised that it would make a good book. Well, I started the newsletter, ironically, for somebody who thought that they'd been obsessed with love for years and years, just realising that I knew really very little about it and particularly falling into a romantic relationship and meeting my partner, just so much of what I've assumed about a romantic relationship was not how it actually was. You know, starting a relationship is a real beginning. And I think I had always seen it as an ending. When we're single, we talk a lot about the importance of like, you know, being independent and putting love into friendship and all these other places and realizing that that is just as important when you're in a romantic relationship and that you need so many different people to see you in all these different ways and and I yeah I, I guess I realized that I'd had quite an egotistical approach to love and I've been very focused on finding somebody to love me and I hadn't 
hadn't invested any time in figuring out how I could love better. You know, I guess part of it as well is growing older and realizing that things are going to get more difficult and there are going to be periods of disconnection with family, with friends, in, in romantic relationships and thinking, okay, well, I've got to this very lucky point in my life where I have these people who I love. How can I get better at that? And how can I make sure that I'm not overlooking all of the different love I have was the starting point. And then to be honest with you, the thought of writing a book about it filled me with dread because it's something you can't really pin down into words. Like you can never, ever sum up what love is on the page, I don't think. And so I just thought it was impossible. I was like, you can't write a book about this. What are you going to say in the final page? You know, what's the answer? There is no answer. And I think finding meaning in that mystery and actually trying to explore these topics whilst knowing that you can never really reach a finishing line is kind of what loving is. And so I tried to make the book echo that mystery in a way. And I felt like that was a meaningful way to do it. Absolutely was. Honestly, it is easily one of my favorite books that I've read this year and over the past few years I just cannot stop talking about it and recommending it the thing I love in particular about the book is how it places emphasis on different kinds of love from strangers which is something that I talked about with Hassan Akkad earlier in the season how these moments of kindness from strangers really lifted him and helped him on his journey why do you think that remembering and knowing that there are different kinds of loves that can really help us in all different stages of our lives is something that so many of us have to kind of relearn and unlearn and why do you think it's helping us lead fulfilled lives I'm thinking specifically of the people in my life like for example my husband works in a primary school he's not really interested in writing or writers or journalism or he reads but very different books to what I read and he's not going to be there talking about bell hooks dying and 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 talking about her work or something like that but I don't need him to be that for me because I have friends who I will have those conversations with and who see those parts of me and I see those parts of them and if I say didn't have those friends maybe I would feel really frustrated when you don't have those different people who can engage with different sides of you you can maybe run the risk of loading all that expectation onto one person and inevitably life changes and people are busier or less busier at different points and and move to different places and have different personal struggles and they might not be able to give you the level of time or connection at that intensity all the time certainly for me having lots of different friends maybe allows me to give my friends a bit of a break when perhaps they need to be distant because I'm not relying on them for absolutely everything. So when we sort of put, you know, particularly romantic love on a pedestal above everything else, it just puts a lot of pressure on that one relationship to deliver all of our happiness, which of course is just impossible <laughs> for one person. And and also it's it's not just other people, but understanding there's a level of responsibility we have for our own happiness too, rather than looking to a romantic relationship to answer all those problems for us or to fix something or to ease loneliness and make us feel happy forevermore which I think is you know certainly how I and I think a lot of other people I've interviewed have felt growing up I will be unhappy if I'm not in a relationship and just that fear of being alone and seeing that as the only answer to being alone when actually you can find connection in lots of different places. I 
definitely felt pretty overwhelmed, but in the most wonderful way when I went through my kind of biggest breakup of my 20s, because I just realized how much my friends were there for me. And it really solidified so many of my friendships. Through this breakup, I realized that I had so many deep loves and not only deep loves with my friends and the women in my life but also love that's very romantic I do really feel like friendship can be just as romantic as the romance that we get from our partners so I was wondering if you had ever experienced romance in some of your friendships and if you could tell us about that completely and you know if I think about Valentine's days I remember them once with my friends you know there's one where I was actually like my friend was crying in a pub on Valentine's Day and we you know we were both in a not great place but it was just this real moment of vulnerability and connection and kind of showing up there and thinking well everything is crap but we're here and we can laugh about it together I think that's a form of romance too but yeah I think like those little things you do for friends of handwritten cards that you send each other or I was even thinking about you know hen do trite but I didn't really have one I just had people come around for margaritas and margaritas cocktails and pizzas my friends had all like taken a photo and written like the story of the memories with us and I was just looking through it and thinking these are such moments of love that I remember now and and feel great nostalgia and romance about even jewelry like now I'm you know I'm wearing a bracelet that's one of my best friends given to me that's engraved and I haven't taken it off that I wear every day, like I wear my wedding ring every day. It's just a little reminder. I guess where I'm at now with romance and friendships is knowing that I have to be a bit more conscious about those romantic gestures. When we were younger, I mean, just having more time and perhaps seeing each other more often. And as you are less able to do that, particularly people moving hours and hours away or even sometimes different countries, I have learned to send more letters in the post and I have learned to you have to almost make the milestones because maybe there aren't anniversaries in the same way and maybe there aren't those societal markers. So you have to sort of make them up yourself. So I would say romance now has to be more active for me in those friendships. And I'm always trying to um, think of ways to do that. A therapist actually said to me the other day, she, she calls them placeholders. So even if you can't be there, it's just sending a note or something that says I love you I'm so sad I can't be there but you're in my mind today and I'm remembering this about you or just those little quiet acts of love I think become much more important. I have definitely noticed the start of the shift that I think you're referencing and also that you wrote about in the book because I am at a stage now where a couple of my friends have started to have babies I don't live in London anymore so I've missed out on a couple of the get-togethers with my kind of core group of girlfriends recently and I do think that that shift is quite difficult if other people are listening who are in that kind of similar shift what kind of words of comfort would you have for them I guess what I'm also saying is there also has to be an acceptance that these friendships will change I had dinner with a friend recently who is maybe thinking that she might not want children and she said to me and another friend oh you guys have become really close because your parents and I said to her I love that we don't talk about kids I of course I love my friends who 
our mothers and that there is something amazing about saying okay this they've got this temperature what is you know that is bonding but at the same time I'm so treasure those friendships where I can go and not be a mother and inhabit the other side of myself and be seen for the part of me that's still separate to that which is still there so I would say to anyone listening I was worried when I was younger that okay if I wasn't on exactly the same time scale as my friends then I would lose that friendship and I just have found that that is not the case yes there are some like things that make it really difficult but I suppose I've learned to get much more relaxed about how those friendships ebb and flow and certainly friends of mine who had kids a lot younger than I did we did have periods of distance but we sustained those friendships enough that now they kind of become closer again for me I, I wouldn't say that the situation has determined the quality of the friendships the friendships that are really good and that we keep like I guess making an effort to be vulnerable and honest with each other those withstand difference and actually as someone said to me in the book you know if you only ever make friends as people who are in the same situation as you then you're not going to have any friends at the end of the day because it's just going to keep coming in waves all the time different levels of loss different challenges in our relationships and our own health and all this career stuff all the time is changing so many different parts of our lives so I think we have to get a bit better at being flexible and just finding ways to sustain the gaps for me I guess the difference is now knowing when to be a bit relaxed about that distance and cut someone some slack and say okay it's okay if we don't see each other that often in this year and then when to say hang on a second it's been too long what are we going to do about this yeah that's super helpful thank you This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. One of the most prominent themes in the book, which I absolutely adored, is how important it is to notice the small moments with loved ones. So you reference kind of how important it is, for example, if you're with your parents to not be staring at a screen, which is something that I know that I do when I'm with my mum and she is the person who deserves that the least because she would never do that with me. What ways did your conversations with the people that you interviewed in the book impact how you spend time with the people that are closest to you? Well, with the screens thing, it wasn't just that, I'm bad at being on my phone all the time. It was, and I was, I was thinking about this at Christmas time, it's that feeling of going home and being like, 
I don't have a boyfriend you know I must I must have a boyfriend for this time next year or just not being able to really be happy with just my family and texting a boy under the table and just I guess always being half there is how I felt perhaps also when you're younger you are more egotistical and distracted and you do almost have to pull away from your family a little bit and and make your own life in order to come back again I think but I would say I get a lot of people through the newsletter writing to me as well about loss and that has given me a sense we can kind of I guess trick ourselves into feeling invincible and love that the people are going to be there forever and I guess I lost that feeling from this project I don't now take for granted that everyone I love is going to be there until I'm 93. That sense of an awareness of loss has made me just want to almost collect details of people, you know, knowing that things that irritate me now about so many people like my mum calling WhatsApp, WhatsApp, or I don't know, stupid little (laughs) details. I know that one day I'll be there dying to smell Clarence moisturizer on her skin you know these tiny details of people that when they're not there will feel so precious to us and then when they're here we just don't notice them and of course you can't go around living like that worrying about everyone dying all the time but I think if we could do that almost just half of the time then we'd be better at just giving love the attention it deserves and and I don't know about you but I've definitely been guilty of like with my work, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to write a to-do list and I'm going to get things done and I'll set these goals and I'll review everything in every six weeks and then I'll have an appraisal and, and all this kind of work we do naturally about reviewing and planning and noticing and, and I guess improving that we don't do in our relationships. Like, you know, Eva Esther Perel said, maybe we should have like a little summit every six weeks where you go away with someone and you say, right, what are you happy about? What are you pissed off about? What can we do better? I do this thing now, I do actually with, two friends and I do it with my husband we call it like circle of life and we divide it into four sections which is like health friends family actually work is in there as well and we kind of write down like the things that we're unhappy with and the things that we've really been happy about and then look at what we can maybe do differently and that does involve thinking about the small moments with people because like love is a big vast unknowable thing but it's built on small details it's built on how you walk your way back from a fight or the kind thing you do or don't say or the card that you remember to send to a friend like all those little things without them love is just a feeling and as many people who I've interviewed told me like feeling sadly is not enough to sustain a relationship and you you were asking how the interviews change the the line I keep coming back to is the um Esther Perel said if, if somebody tells them that they love their partner, she'll be like, well, how do you demonstrate it? Like, it's no good just feeling that love. Like, how are you going to show up for someone? How are you going to show them that you had the intention to do that? So I try and almost carry that line around like a little talisman. My husband and I say this all the time that we'll be apart in the day and thinking, oh, I really miss, I really want to see you. And then when we get home, we'll just snap about something. And then the other person will never know that you had that loving feeling because you get home and you're just cranky. And so often we'll say, oh, it's so weird that I'm snapping at you because earlier today I was really thinking how much I love you. And so I guess it's just, um, yeah, finding a way to act on the on that feeling. Yeah. 
It is a complicated time of the year for a lot of people. Uh, It's the holidays and if you celebrate Christmas, it's coming up to Christmas. I think we are fed a narrative that this should be an especially loving, romantic time of year. But for so many, it, it can be absolutely awful and it can feel incredibly lonely. Why do you think this is such a complicated time for so many people? And if we are one of those people, how do you think we can kind of help ourselves feel less anxious and less alone? Well, for me, the reason I found it hard is I think I did always use it as a marker of like, where's my life at and what do I not have? When I was younger, as I said, like going back to my parents and feeling that I wanted a relationship. And I don't know why, but I would always get dumped just before Christmas. And, And when I was trying to get pregnant, being like, okay, another Christmas when I don't have a baby. And possibly because we have resolutions in the new year and we're trained to reflect back on everything. And for me, that was always what I hadn't done or what I hadn't got rather than being grateful. And that was just the trap that I fell into. And I think the trap that a lot of us could fall into because it is an opportunity to be with people. So if you see that you don't have the people who you want in your life, that can feel like a lack. But, you know, now I really see like there's something um, Alan de Botton was saying about loneliness and, and saying, like, why do you feel more lonely on a Friday night than you would on a Monday night? It's not really because you're unhappy being alone for those six hours or whatever it's on the night. It's the story that you're telling yourself about what a Friday night means in comparison to what a Monday night means. And with Christmas, I think maybe we just need to change the story and and set our expectations a little bit lower, even with family. You know, I actually think, was it last year was my first Christmas as a new parent? And as much as I was so grateful to have a baby, there was also a sense of loss of thinking, oh, we can't sit and have dinner with our family in the evening because we were upstairs, you know, holding the baby. We didn't, we couldn't just sit there and have drinks. We couldn't have carols. And so I think that I've just learned to, to... accept that like any other day or like a birthday or like a wedding or all these other things that we put on pedestals there might be beautiful and amazing and meaningful bits and there might also be bits that are a bit boring or bits that are a bit irritating or bits that are a bit frustrating and and so even past me looking at those new mothers as having absolutely everything I ever wanted and their life was so perfect and happy and I was miserable and alone well the truth is that I had fun those years as well and and I had sad bits and and possibly the people who knew mothers had tough bits and and beautiful bits as well you know and going back to the friendship thing again I sort of found it quite difficult to be friends with new mothers when I was struggling to conceive and I hadn't really stopped to think well they also might be lonely and those friends also might be in need of company or of support I had sort of put them in the box like their lives are happy and mine are not and I think that we can have a tendency to do that when we're in the middle of longing for something. I think this is honestly one of the things that your book achieves so well. It's this kind of zooming out and looking at things in a different way to what we might have been taught or conditioned to. And for that reason, that zooming out and that kind of greater understanding of what it is we're all going through, loss, you know, love, all of this stuff, I just found so, so helpful. So I know you say what an impossible thing to write about, but I really do think you've nailed it. (laughs) 
I think that what you're saying about the zooming out, it comes back to ego, doesn't it? And if I think about all my own issues in love, whilst at the time I was like, oh, it was this person who didn't love me. It was this person's fault. A lot of it was just I was so um, egotistical in my approach to love and always thinking, why me? And not catching myself before I veered into self-pity. And maybe that's part of youth, but think it certainly took me a long longer time than it should have done to grow out of that feeling isolated from other people is an easy feeling to kind of trip back into and for me that's why conversations on love has been so amazing because there's a writer called Sarah Hapola who says like our default state is quite cranky egotistical overlooking people lazy and all of us need reminders to kind of zoom out or to um get better at prioritizing giving love and gratitude and all those things some people have gratitude journals and some people go running and some people meditate and I think for me maybe it's stories and listening to other people and even today I was sort of frustrated about you know possibly with my partner like he's sick it's not his fault but I'm like oh god I've got to do solo childcare. and I was like hoping to get this writing done this weekend and just like of course this is not his fault but I'm there being a bit resentful And I just was reading one of the conversations and it just sort of trips me out of it and reminds me how much of love is about self-regulation and kind of catching yourself before you react impulsively. It's definitely a book that I'm going to be coming back to lots. I would love to hear about how being a mother to Joni has changed you. People make all these assumptions. I think there's so many parts of me that haven't changed and are the exact same and making all the same mistakes and not being this sort of always compassionate, devoted being that I think sometimes mothers are portrayed as. Sometimes I look at her and I think, what have I done to myself? Because it's so scary. I think it's made me a lot more scared. I write in the book about a moment when she was sick and she was in this ambulance and they put this kind of mask over her and I almost couldn't be in my body in that moment. And it, it's strange because it's so physical and it's so demanding and it's so difficult and it's so scary so sometimes I think god what have I done to myself but in a wonderful way it's really just another reminder of how wonderful it can be to give love and the kind of thinking about when I was younger again and just obsessing over when will someone love me and just this idea of being loved being the most amazing feeling in the beginning with the baby you're not getting that much back apart from them being like delicious and cute wonderful because they can't talk you know they just demand things of you all the time and it just reminds me how rewarding it is to to keep giving love and and also reminds me that nothing good in life that has happened to me has been easy it's really really difficult but that doesn't mean that it can't be wonderful and I'm starting to think that maybe all of love is like that like maybe romantic relationships are not just as easy as I thought like it's so difficult so many amazing moving pieces in some ways and I think that's what makes it amazing like when I look at my husband now I think oh I see the time that you have cried in my arms or I see the moment when I'm like throwing up in the loo and you're shitting and we're trying to look after babies we've both got the norovirus all these layers of like difficulty and struggle on top of the easy blissful moment make this complex layered deep love that's what creates something so special. But I mean, I'm in the early stages. I'm still, I'm still figuring it out, making many, many mistakes. Love, love that. How would you feel about a quick fire round? Go for it, go for it. Quick fire with Natasha. 
wake up early or have a lion? Have a lion, which I haven't had for a very long time, so definitely have a lion. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Meditation or yoga? Yoga. Marmite or jam? Marmite. In the trees or by the sea? By the sea. Christmas or New Year? Christmas. Elf or Home Alone? Home Alone. Love Actually or The Holiday? Love Actually. Paris or New York? Paris. Fiction or non-fiction? Non-fiction. Podcasts or Netflix? I'll say podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I'm a people sunset. pleaser? Um, <laughs> sunset, sunset. And finally, routine or spontaneity? Routine, sadly. I find routine reassuring. Final few questions. I'd love to hear what is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit? Always going and buying a takeaway coffee. Like I'd rather sacrifice anything else than that one thing of going to the coffee shop and having a coffee made for me. It's just the best moment of the day. Unfortunately, I don't live somewhere now where there's good coffee close by. It's not particularly great, but I don't know why it's something about the ritual of it. Also getting up, getting dressed, going out, particularly in lockdown became so important so yeah definitely that what have you read listened to or watched recently that you'd love to recommend I have just read Foreverland by Heather Havrileski it's a memoir about a marriage and I guess I am really drawn to stories about what happens like after you get together you know a bit like before midnight I don't know if you've seen that in the third of the trilogy like we have so many stories about falling in love and I always love reading and and watching things about the next bit and this really is about the next bit it's about um what it takes to be in a long-term relationship it's about fights it's about periods of disconnection how you find your way back to each other and it's really honest in a way that I don't think many people are able to be when writing about long-term relationships so I love that and would it's out actually in February so I really recommend that Amazing. Awesome. And finally, what is one thing you hope your future self will have achieved? I hope my future self will just have been able to pay attention to the love that she had on that day, rather than looking to love in the future, plans for the future. That's so lovely. (laughs) This is my eternal struggle. Um, and yeah I thank you for that because it's a reminder to me to try and do that today that is so beautiful you really do have such an amazing way with words and thank you so so much again for writing this book and for bringing these conversations into just such a wonderful read and reminder I'm very very grateful oh thank you so much thank you for reading so closely and for your generous questions Thank you so much for listening to this season finale. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions of people you'd like to hear me interview on this podcast or any books that you think I should be reading to inspire the podcast, please send me a direct message at ATST Podcast. On a personal level, I just want to say a huge thank you for your support on this podcast this year. It truly does mean the world to me that you choose to tune in and spend this time with me and my guests. It has been an utter joy bringing you conversations with people who I find deeply inspiring. Wishing you a restful holidays and a nourishing new year and sending you loads of love.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.